0: father thank you so much for this time you've given us to be in your word whether we're here together whether we're in our rooms or homes whatever it might be lord thank you and i pray that we would uh humble our hearts before you that we would receive your word allowing you through your word to work in our hearts to encourage and strengthen us as to our faith lord i pray that you would bless your word as it goes out this morning pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're a true believer, you will soon find out after coming to faith that there are difficulties in this life, that uh, the relationships we had before have been changed because, as Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword, and what he meant by that was when you enter into a relationship with him, immediately you're going to be at enmity with those who don't know the Lord. Is going to be difficulty, and the Lord God is gracious that within those difficulties He uses those for His glory, and even to uh, cause us to be refined, uh, so that we will be more like Christ. God is a good God who even allows our faith and brings about testing of our faith, that uh, endurance would be produced in our lives, and then Christ likeness. But yet when we're in the midst of those sufferings, whatever it might be, and, you know, we have a little bit of suffering right now with this coronavirus for for those who have lost jobs or those who are sick from it or have lost a loved one, that's certainly suffering. But for everyone else, it's really not that much suffering, but uh, we are isolated, no doubt about that. But there are those who are actually suffering for Christ, suffering for doing what is right. And if you're a believer, that's going to happen to you at some time. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble. But he said, take courage, I have overcome the world. And he said that we shouldn't be surprised that the world hates us because it it hates him. So with that in mind, how can we stand firm when we are suffering for Christ? When you do the right thing in your marriage and you suffer for that, when you do the right thing at work and you suffer for that, when you do the right thing in relationships, family situations, and you suffer for that. How can we endure that how can we stand firm in the midst of suffering well today we're going to continue our look in the book of first thessalonians so would you turn with me to first thessalonians chapter 3 1 thessalonians chapter 3 and we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 13 and lord willing we will finish the chapter today and we're going to see that to stand firm in the midst of suffering, we must receive his word. We must respond in faith and we must rely upon him. Now, you know, if you're listening to it over the live stream, you'll find a little link there for the music if you haven't found that already. And also a link for the sermon notes. Feel free to, uh, to print those off. Usually those sermon notes are done and the, and the uh, link for the music is done on Saturday. So you can get that in advance before uh, Sunday morning. But feel free to click on that or just feel free to listen to the message as I share it. But let me share some context as as you're turning to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We know from Acts chapter 16 that the Apostle Paul and his companions, uh, led by the Spirit of God, crossed the Aegean Sea and went on to Macedonia to preach the gospel. And within that, we have the account of the birth of the Philippian church. And after Paul had been beaten and shamefully mistreated in Philippi, he and his companions journeyed 50 miles west to Thessalonica. And in Acts chapter 17, we have the account of the birth of this church, where Paul remained with them for three weeks. And the Jews, at, at that point, enraged at Paul's teaching, drove him out of the city. Then we have uh, Paul uh, heading southward to Berea and beginning to preach the word again. However, the Jews from Thessalonica followed him there, creating a riot or an uprising. And Paul left that city and then it went on to Athens. Now, he remained in Athens for a short time and then went on to Corinth. Now, as we will be reminded of today, the Apostle Paul was very concerned for the Thessalonians' faith in Jesus in the midst of the persecutions which they were enduring So while he was in Athens, he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to strengthen and encourage them as to the faith. And then he went on to Corinth. Now it's in Corinth that the Apostle Paul received Timothy's report, and this letter is his response to uh, Timothy's report concerning the Thessalonians. And the date, and the date here is around 50 A.D., So the church is less than a year old in the faith, and Paul writes this letter in response back to them. Now in chapter 1 we have the testimony, or Paul shares the testimony, with thankfulness of the Thessalonians' conversion. He's so thankful for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is thankful for their response to the gospel, in which it came in power with the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And that response had been broadcast throughout the whole region so all the believers knew that they had turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then coming into chapter 2, we have uh, a portion where the Apostle Paul begins to defend himself. He defends himself in, in regard to the manner in which he and his companions shared the gospel with these Thessalonians during that first three weeks. And indeed, in line of what we'll see today, Satan was most likely using wicked men to tempt the Thessalonians, not to see Paul and his companions rightly, and thus be pulled away from the word of God, which they were bringing to them and had brought to them. Yet in light of Satan's strategy of slander and opposition, Paul defends himself in chapter 2, and we see that he and his companions imparted the word of God from the right motives, and they imparted their lives from loving motives as they shared the word. And it's in this context that the apostle Paul reminded them of their right behavior unto the right goal, which is walking in a manner worthy of God. And then in chapter 2, verse 13, we saw how it is that we grow in our relationship with the living God, as Paul reveals this in his thankfulness for the Thessalonians' reception and acceptance of the word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. And then in the rest of the chapter, we see the evidence of God's word working in the Thessalonians in that... um, it brought about temporal suffering right away, just as what happens when people come to faith there 's usually temporal suffering, and these these Thessalonians suffered at the hands of their own countrymen, just as Jewish believers did from theirs and Then we saw that another evidence of god 's word and work in them and in us is that they were had entered into eternally rewarding relationships in which they were being uh, fed the word of God and they were a joy to those who were bringing that to them. And it would be so even unto eternity. And it's from this point we come to chapter 3 in which we began to look at last week. And so uh, we're going to see today how we can stand firm in the midst of suffering. And I'm going to go back and we're going to read back from what we looked at last week and then come into our passage. So we'll start with verse 1 and read up through where we are for context. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind in Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions, For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain. And now our passage. But now... That Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord." For what thanks can we render to God and for you in return for all the joy in which we rejoice before our God on your account. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we might see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Oh, this is good, isn't it? Read through that. You see these wonderful passages. And so we're going to see how we can stand firm in the midst of suffering. And you might remember from last week, we saw that, first of all, we need to remember that God uses his word to strengthen and encourage us in the midst of difficulties. And he uses people to bring his word to us. Look back in verse 1, and we'll just review 1 through 5 briefly here. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel. You might remember, uh, last time we were together, the Apostle Paul was very concerned about the threats to the Thessalonians' faith. And so with that concern, we see that he then sent Timothy. because he uh, And as he sent him, you might remember that uh, the Apostle Paul had been with the Thessalonians for three weeks, and he was literally orphaned from then and he's concerned about them and so he sends timothy and as we saw he was pleased to be left behind or abandoned by timothy someone who was very useful and a blessing in ministry he was he was he was well pleased to be left behind in athens to be forsaken and he sent timothy timothy a good guy a brother in christ a true believer God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. Timothy was about God's business, serving, and he was willing to do whatever the Lord wanted him to do through the apostle Paul. As Paul states in Philippians 2, like a child serving his father. That was Timothy. So why did Timothy send, excuse me, why did Paul send Timothy? Specific purpose. Middle of verse 2, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, or literally for the sake of your faith. You see, when we go through trials as true believers, our faith in Jesus is at risk, and our faith is everything. It's the core of our, and center of our relationship with Jesus. You see, we were saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and we walk in the same manner. We walk by faith, not by sight. And when we're in difficulties, we are tempted to have our eyes pulled off of Jesus Christ, pulled off of him, or to doubt or to be caught up emotionally in whatever's happening, and to not trust Jesus. And so he sent Timothy for the sake of their faith, to strengthen the word sterizo. We saw that. It speaks of setting something so it will be immovable, setting it up. It speaks of removing instability. And here in the context in regards to faith. And then the word translated encourage means to call to one side. It speaks of encouraging, exhorting, imploring, or urging, or comforting. And you might remember the last time we were together, we saw that God used, we saw how God used Timothy to strengthen and encourage them. And I'm not going to share all the verses. We shared a ton of verses last time. But in short, he uses his word to strengthen and encourage us as to the faith. And Timothy was faithful, as Paul would tell the Corinthians. He will remind you of my ways in which I teach in all the churches. God uses his word to build us up, to cause us to stand in our faith, to encourage us in the context of our faith. But that only happens when we recognize our inadequacy and we humble ourselves before the Lord as evidenced by prayer. And don't forget, our passage reveals that God uses people to do this. He sent Timothy to these Thessalonians through Paul. And God uses people in our lives to strengthen and encourage us through his word, whether it's through the preaching, whether it's through a brother or sister coming alongside you in the midst of that and sharing the word of God with you. God uses... People to do that so if you're going through a difficult trial the lord knows he's gracious he's kind the lord loves you we need to let the word of god through the whom the lord brings encourage us and strengthen us as to the faith so we see that's why paul sent timothy but why would they need to be strengthened and encouraged because there's threats Remember we saw this last week, verse 3. So that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know we have been destined for this. The term disturbed speaks of being wagged back and forth like the tail of a dog. It speaks of being carried away emotionally. He sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you as to the face so that you would not be carried away emotionally in the midst of those difficulties. God loves you. He's gracious. He's kind. He doesn't want that to happen to you. And he sends his word to do so to help you. He sends people to share it. They were going through afflictions. The word afflictions means pressure. They were suffering spiritual, mental, and physical pressure because they had come to Christ and they were suffering for it. And so he sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage them as to their faith. Verse 3, so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. And then he says, hey, you know something. We shared this with you. For you yourselves know, middle of verse 3, you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Brother and sister, this life is full of suffering. We are destined for temporal sufferings for the glories to follow. It is our destiny right now. Don't let it catch you off guard. Like Peter would say, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Indeed, all those who live godly will be persecuted. The reality is we're going to enter into, not all the time, but we are going to enter into afflictions for following Christ. We are destined for this. But we're also destined for glory, by the way, as we'll say. It's the sufferings for the glories to follow. And notice what he says, verse four, "For indeed, when we were with you, short time, three weeks into their faith, you come to faith in Jesus, they were praising the Lord, they were looking for us for Son from heaven, who delivers them from the wrath to come." He says, "We kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, that certainly includes Paul and them. And so it came to pass as you know." And then he says in verse five, "For this reason. When we could endure it no longer. The Apostle Paul was extremely concerned for their faith. He says, I also sent to find out about your faith. How are they doing in the faith? Timothy, find out. Strengthen and encourage them. See how they're doing in the faith. I'm concerned for them. And notice he says, there's another thing that was here that we saw last week. For fear that the tempter, that's the devil who tempts might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain what was their labor imparting the truth of god that builds them up in their relationship with jesus christ he was concerned that satan would have tempted them certainly they could have been emotionally drawn away pulled away but also from the outside satan tempts us to doubt did god really say that He tempts us to believe and see even those who bring the word wrongly. He tempts us to see things from a human perspective. He tempts us to focus on our trials, not on Jesus Christ. And folks, he is looking for someone to devour in that that context. The context of 1 Peter chapter 5 is suffering and trials. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We have an enemy who is going to tempt you to see things wrongly and to see those who bring the word wrongly so that you will be devoured in regards to the faith. Don't let him do it. Stand firm in the faith. 1 Peter 5.8 Be of sober spirit. Don't get all carried away in your emotions and your mindset. Be of sober spirit. Don't be drunk with worry or fear. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Be looking out. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is speaking about believers, by the way. But resist him firm in your faith, or firm in the faith, literally. Knowing something, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are around the world. It is The normal reality, temporal suffering. We're destined for this. Don't get caught up by it. Don't get torn away by it emotionally. But no, it's happening to other believers. And then notice this, really great, verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while. I like that little while, right? We don't like to suffer, do we? Suffer for a little while. A lot of eternity, it's, it's short. For a little while. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Personally, God's going to do that. Praise the Lord. And you know what he does? He does it through his word. We see it in our passage. He sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage them as to the faith. You see, Paul had a vested interest in the, these Thessalonians' faith. He was concerned greatly that the trials would have affected them emotionally, that they would have been tempted by Satan and their work would be in vain. So how can we stand firm in the midst of suffering? As we've seen, we need to know and remember that God uses his word through his people to strengthen and encourage us after the faith. Because there are dangers to our faith in Jesus Christ. Yet, folks, understanding this is not enough. Knowing that God uses his word to strengthen and encourage us, knowing there's dangers is not enough. As we're going to see, we must also respond in faith to the word that we hear. We must receive the word by those sent and respond in faith. Look at uh, verse 6, and now we're starting our passage here. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us and longing to see us just as we also long to see you. But now we have a contrast from what we've seen earlier. In contrast to the dangers and Paul's concern having sent Timothy to find out about their faith. But now in contrast we've heard the the report. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he has and has brought good news. Brought us good news. So then, Paul had sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage them as to their faith and to find out how they're doing. And he's come back now and he has brought uh, good news. It's the same word we see that's translated gospel. It's good news. And what's the good news? What's the good news? First of all, he has brought good news of what? Your faith. That's what it's about. It's about your faith in Jesus Christ. It's about are you trusting Jesus in the midst of those difficulties? Are you believing what he has said? Are you personally relying on him and not on yourself? Are you trusting in him rather than leaning on your own understanding? Are you fixing your eyes on Jesus? Good news of your faith. Their faith was in Jesus. They were saved by faith in Jesus and they walked by faith in Jesus. It's all about trusting Jesus. There's that wonderful song, Trusting Jesus. And, folks, Paul was concerned that they might have been carried away emotionally by their trials, disturbed by their afflictions. He was concerned that the tempter might have tempted them and their labor would be in vain, but he has received good news. Good news. And, folks, if you care about someone who's a believer and you are following the Lord, faith is everything. Are they trusting Christ in this trial? Are they relying on Christ in this trial? Are they believing his promises in spite of what they see? You want to hear good news that they are. And Paul heard good news of their faith. Good news of their faith. It's everything. And notice what he says. It's not only their faith, but he says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love. Good news. If you're concerned about someone who is in a trial, who's a true believer, it is good news to hear they're trusting Jesus. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there's, they're, they're, it's hard, but they're trusting Jesus. You hear the truth, you go, wow, praise the Lord good news as opposed to bad news waffling all over the place you know worried fearful whatever it might be versus trusting jesus but as we've seen throughout scripture and we'll see here today that true faith genuine faith will produce something and he says good news not simply of your faith but your faith and love and love You see, when Christ is manifest in us through faith, we're going to love one another. You see, it's a lot of self-love when we're all worried and fearful about everything because everyone has to attend to us rather than us trusting Jesus and then being used by him to encourage others in the context of love. You see, when we're trusting Jesus, we're going to love one another. And we love because he first loved us us you see when we came to genuine faith in jesus christ if you haven't come to faith you don't know what i'm talking about you may understand the words but you do not know when we come to faith in jesus christ he produces a love in us for him and for our brothers and sisters in christ it's an evidence of a changed life look later on in chapter 4 of first thessalonians the apostle paul will say something about that he says in first thessalonians verse 9 4 9 Now as to the love of the brethren, phileo love, we're going to talk about that, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to agape, to love one another. It's innate to your relationship with the living God. You see, when we walk by the Spirit in the context of faith, one of the fruits of that will be love. Now, the world has a view of what love is, and their view is all messed up, because love is basically, you know, an emotion or whatever it is. But God's view of uh, love is different. And the way we understand God's view of love is to see what he did through his son. You see, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to have a special love for the body of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and your love which you have for all the saints. Paul will share this so many times. He doesn't just say, I thank God for your said faith. I thank God for your faith that is working and it is in the context of loving the body of Christ. You know, we've been saved unto a sincere love of the brethren. Did you know that? You were saved unto a love of the body of Christ. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. 1 Peter 1, 22. You see, it's when faith is gone, love is gone, by the way. So if you don't know Jesus, you don't have love. But as believers, when our faith is wavering, our love will waver too. Because we become self-centered, self-focused. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For, he explains, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and abiding word of God. We've been saved and born again unto a new disposition we now can manifest the character of God, which is love, to him and one another, if we abide in Christ. And if you look at the book of John and then First John, we see those the, the, the theme of the book is, is love for one another. We see that as evidenced by obedience to the Word of God. If, excuse me, first John, look at First John. And actually, let's turn it to First John. I want to share a couple passages. The theme of 1 John is that if we are truly saved, we're going to be loving. We're going to be loving one another. But the, what love is from God's perspective may be quite different than what you think love is. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. The one who says, I have come to know him, that's speaking, I know Jesus, and does not keep His commandments, that's not the Ten Commandments, it's not not namas, the law, he doesn't keep his commands, that's a good translation, is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has been truly completed or perfected or brought to its end. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. And the old commandment is the word which you have heard. Now he's going to talk about that even a little later. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. By this, the children of God, and this is 1 John, and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, I can't read the whole book, but go down to verse 16 of the same chapter. We know love by this. Here's love. We want to know what love is. That he laid down his life for us. You see, Jesus Christ loved us so much that he obeyed the Father and gave himself for us. He says, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Can't do that when you're not trusting Jesus, by the way. When you're worried about and fearful about everything that's happening, you cannot do that. And so he says here, "Uh, but whoever has the world's goods and beholds a brother in need and closes his heart against him, how can the love of God be in him? Little children, let us love with not with not love with word or with tongue, but with deed and truth. Then go down a little farther, verse twenty-three. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. And the one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know, we, and we know by this that he abides in us by, by the spirit he has given us. And then one more passage. We'll look at it in a minute. Go up to chapter 4, verse 20. Here John explains what real love looks like. Chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, now here's the point. Some people say they love God. Some people say they have faith, but it's not genuine as we'll see. Notice what he says here. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have in him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And then he's going to explain what this looks like, what real love for one another looks like. Whoever believes that Jesus, this is chapter 5 of 1 John, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child. Now that's not Jesus here in the context we're going to see in a moment. It's his children. Loves the child born of him. Notice what he says. By this we know that we love the children of God. You want to know if you love other believers? Here you go. Love the children of God. He says here, um, when we love God and what? observe his commands or commandments for this is the love of god that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome you see as we're going to see love for one another can only come from god and god is relayed in his commands his perfect love for us his commands reveal his love for us and how we should love one another very clearly when we obey the lord in regards to one another and as we'll see even the world we will love them we will love them first peter 4:8 above all keep fervent in your love for one another for love covers a multitude of sins what did paul say when he was finishing about speaking about serving and spiritual gifts in romans 12 let love be without hypocrisy let it not be a fake mask right and folks, you'll remember that these Thessalonians, that their faith worked and their love toiled. Back in chapter one, Paul praises God for their labor of love. Their love toiled. Their love toiled. And so now, Paul, the apostle Paul says, Timothy's come back. Back to our passage, 1st Thessalonians 3. Timothy's come back and we have received good news of your faith, and the faith is in Jesus, by the way, and your love. And your love, good news, good news. (coughs) And again, how wonderful is that? You're concerned about a brother or sister going through difficulty. It's genuine, it's hard, it's tough. And you get good news. They're trusting Jesus. And that trust is manifest in a self-sacrifice by obeying God in relationship to one another. Wow, that's wonderful. So let me ask you this if paul were to send timothy to check up on you come into your house today by the way you're all in your houses so coming over to check up on you to see how you are doing in the faith what would his report be what would his report be would his report be good news that you are trusting jesus and your love for the body is clearly manifest would it be good news If someone was to look at your life, would they see a working faith and love's toil? A genuine love for the body of Christ manifest in obedience to the word in relationship to one another in the body of Christ? Now, if your love is conditional, serving in the conditions based on what you get out of it, that's not love at all. That's self-love. We've seen that here in this church over the years. People who serve based on their own desires, they want it their way. And if it doesn't work out their way, the way they want to do it, that's, that's not love, that's self-love. Then they are on their way somewhere else. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. Sadly, I've seen so amazingly people get upset over such little things. Little things, because their laboring is not out of love, it's out of self-love. But these Thessalonians... Our loving one another is a good report, a good report. And notice this, it's very important. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought good news of your faith and your love, and notice this, and this is this is important to Paul, by the way, and that you always think kindly of us. This is important. God put this in his word, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. And you say, why is that so important, Greg? It's crucial. Don't forget, Satan tempts believers through wicked men and deceived brethren to see those who bring the word wrongly. He tempts them not to think kindly of them. He tempts them not to long to see them. He brings division. Indeed, the Apostle Paul, as I shared earlier in all of chapter 2, is defending himself in the manner in which he came, which implies there were those who were slandering him and trying to cause these Thessalonians to have a wrong view. And he was concerned, is their view, has it been distorted by Satan? But no, good news, good news. They didn't succumb to those temptations. They didn't give Satan a place that you always think kindly, kindly of us and are longing to see us just as we long to see you. Wow, that is good, good news. Isn't it good news, again, if you're ministering to somebody who's going through a trial and you're sharing the word of God with them and their attitude towards you is good, they want to hear you, they want to hear what you want to say, they think kindly of you and the Lord, they want to hear the truth, it's good news. It's when they shut down and they start seeing you wrongly because Satan's got to them, then that's bad news, by the way. But this is good news here. Now, within that, it's important to realize that those being shepherded, or you may or may not understand this, how important this is, uh, for those being shepherded, how your view towards me and the shepherds is important. It is important that you think kindly of me, that you have a right view of me. That is really important. Because if you have a wrong view of me, you will not hear the word of God that I bring forth. And we've seen that here over and over again. It's important. And I've been concerned over the years of influences of people who would turn people's hearts away towards me, particularly, that they would not think kindly of me. And you'd see it. You'd see it in their actions. And sure enough, those attitudes would lead to presumption, a lack of respect, and they would eventually leave the church. You see that. At least the work in that moment was in vain. I know this all too well. But praise the Lord, like we see here, and I've seen also, there's good news. There's good news. There's good news. And guess what? Where there is good news, there is joy and praise of God too, by the way. When you get good news, it's not just simply, wow, I'm so happy about this. There is praise and thankfulness to God. Notice it's important, and God wants us to know this because it's in his word. It's important that God wants us to see that he uses our response to the word spoken to us to bless those who, uh, who bring it to you which brings glory to him notice he says but now that timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and your love this is great oh boy it's great and that you always think kindly of us longing to see us just as we long to see you oh wonderful and now he's gonna explain for this reason for this reason brethren in all our distress and afflictions We were comforted about you through your faith. That's what comforted Paul. Paul was so concerned for them. He was concerned, and in the midst of his distress and afflictions for following Christ, he was comforted. Now, the distress and affliction certainly might be the persecution that he was experiencing, but I believe because it's connected to the idea of being comforted, it was certainly about them. He was distressed about them. Where were they at? Had Satan got to them? I, I, I satan had thwarted paul from seeing them he wanted to see them really he wanted to see them but he was thwarted but in all the distress and affliction we were comforted we were comforted about you you see the apostle paul went through a lot a lot of suffering but his major concern usually was about where believers were at with christ turn to second corinthians 11 he went through a lot of suffering second corinthians 11 but his major concern was about where people are at and they walk with Jesus. Now, in addressing the false prophets who are false teacher, false, excuse me, false apostles in Corinth, uh, he's basically has to, he basically has to quote unquote brag, and he's not bragging, but he has to, in a sense, defend himself in light of them because of their uh, influence on the on the Corinthians. And he says here in 2 Corinthians eleven, verse 23, are they, speaking of the false apostles, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and night I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brethren. I've been labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, cold or exposure. Hey, he went through a lot. He wasn't just having all his stuff in his head. He wasn't all distressed because of what he thought might happen in his life. This really happened to him. He went through distresses and afflictions but he seems to be more concerned about something look at here he says apart from such external things there is the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches who is weak without me being weak who is led into sin without my intense concern if i have to boast i'll boast with what pertains to my weaknesses The Apostle Paul was comforted in the midst of all his afflictions, comforted by the report of their faith and love. Folks, your walk with Christ affects those around you, and it affects those the most who are following Jesus because they are concerned for where you are at with Jesus. If they're walking with Jesus, then they have a genuine love for you, and they are concerned. Your walk with Christ affects others, and here, these Thessalonians, by their trust in Christ and their love for one another and their desire to see Paul through that, Paul was comforted, comforted. He needed encouragement, and he was encouraged. And believe it, you can be discouraged when you see people that are, you're not sure whether they're at with Christ. You're wondering, are they trusting him or not? It's really hard. Are they trusting him? But yet, how encouraging it is to hear a good report a good report they're trusting they're believing his promises they're loving one another and notice the apostle paul back in first thessalonians 3 he was caught up in the things of christ he was caught up in the things of christ look at verse 8 for for or literally because because is the word you could put there because now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Now, he says, if you stand firm, the if is a, with an in indicative, which means it's a first-class condition. What does that mean? It means if, and you are. Now we really live, or literally could translate it, we are living, ongoing. We experience true, genuine life because you're standing firm in the Lord. Now he probably said it this way, with this condition, to, to make the point that yes, you are standing firm in the Lord, but, but it's an encouragement to keep standing firm in the Lord, if you keep doing it too. We really live. We really live. We were comforted about your faith and love, but now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. Isn't that it? You see, a believer who's not standing firm in the Lord, they're waffling, they're giving in to temptation. That's no. That's not comfort. That doesn't cause you to rejoice and praise God and live in a sense. The term stand firm here comes from the word stako. It speaks of holding a position. It sometimes spoke of soldiers who refused to leave their post regardless of how severe the battle was. Obviously, we get our word steak from here. Not eating a steak, but a steak, right? We get our word that. So what does it mean to stand firm in the Lord? The context is faith here, obviously. He's talking about spiritual stability in the midst of our walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. It has to do with trusting Jesus. You see, when I am in the whirlwind of difficulties because of following Christ or whatever it might be, even trials that have come upon me that don't have to do with that, but they've come upon me. When I'm trusting Christ, I'm standing firm. Standing firm in Jesus. Not being thrown all over the place. I'm holding position. We're relying on him, trusting in him, believing what he has said, acting upon what he has said. Folks, you want to encourage your shepherds? Stand firm in the Lord. You want to encourage the brothers and sisters around you who come to you with continually, habitually, and encourage you in the word? Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. We were comforted about you through your faith because now... We live. Since you are standing firm in the Lord right now, we live. This is what life is about. It's about Christ. To live as Christ and to die as gain. To live is to see Christ manifest in the lives of believers where Christ will be glorified. This is awesome. Now we really live. We really live. And now he begins to explain what that means. Verse 9, 4. What thanks... Can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? He says literally, how can we pay back God with thankfulness for all the joy with which we rejoice before God on your account? It is a joyous thing to hear They trust in Jesus and they love in one another and they think kindly of you. It's a joy. How much we can't thank God enough, he's basically saying. We cannot thank him enough. For all the joy that he has brought, which we rejoice in his presence because of what he 's doing in your lives can 't thank him enough can 't thank him enough, brothers and sisters. there is tremendous joy to joy to see those you have ministered to walking in the truth and it 's not just shepherds, certainly you see it with shepherds it 's with those you 've shared the word of God with you 've encouraged you come alongside there 's tremendous joy. turn to third John. Third John, just right before Revel, Jude and Revelation. Third John, and I want to look at verse 3. For I was very glad, this is joy, when brethren came and bore witness to your what? To your truth. That is, he's going to explain how you are walking in truth. They're obeying the word of God. They're walking with Jesus. I have no greater joy than this to hear my children walking in the truth. If you know Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. If you have come alongside those who are struggling, you know what I'm talking about. How much we are caused to rejoice when people trust Jesus. It's wonderful. Now we really live. We really live. That's life. Tremendous, wonderful reality. Folks, the way you respond to the word of God affects those around you respond rightly trust the lord believe what he has said allow his word to encourage you in the midst of your difficulties respond brother and sister respond to the word of god now there may be some of you out there who quite frankly and i've seen it i'll be honest with you quite frankly you're not a joy it doesn't mean god has given up on you it doesn't mean god doesn't love you but you're not a joy uh, because your faith waffles because you're worried and fearful and all this stuff, you've given into Satan, you've allowed it to, to, you're being wagged forth like the tail of a dog. And although you're hearing the word of God, you're not receiving. You're hearing it each week, but you're not receiving it. Something's in the way. Either you are not saved, and Jesus beckons you to come to Him. You are weary and heavy laden, and be saved. Right? He'll give you rest or sin is in the way you've been unwilling to confess your unbelief and maybe other sins associated with that and humble yourself lord jesus just to the bottom i need you jesus i trust you i believe what you say i just give up i believe what you say and guess what then you will be a joy to those around you because god will get the glory here paul is saying hey how can we thank you enough it's going to god it's going to god He is being glorified. So then, how can we stand firm in the midst of trials? We must allow God to strengthen and encourage us through his word by his people because there's dangers. We must respond in faith to those who are encouraging us, who have ministered to us, those who bring the word of God, and respond in faith to the word. And notice, lastly, this is all done in the context of humility. Humility. Notice what Paul says in verse 10. He reveals uh, God's desire through his desire. Verse 10, chapter 3. As we, day and night, that's continual, keep praying most earnestly, that's earnest prayer, the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much, that we may what? Two things. See your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith, that we might complete what is lacking in your faith. Day and night, we keep praying most earnestly. This is this is humility. You see, Paul didn't just say, go send them the word Timothy and they'll respond. No, he's praying. He's praying and he's praying that he would be able to come and see them and then minister to them, that God would open the door for that, that God would do the work. As we're gonna see in a moment, God is the one who changes the hearts. And if you are ministering to someone and you are not praying for them, forget it. Pray that God would open their hearts. Pray that God would open the door, first of all, for an opportunity to come to them. And that's what Paul is doing. He's been thwarted by Satan, and he has been orphaned from them. He wants to come back. They're like a little baby in Christ. They're three. They're less than a year old, and he wants to come back desperately. He's concerned for their faith. And he says, we've been praying day and night, most earnestly, that we would see your face, and then that we might... May complete what is lacking in your faith. This interesting word. It's not the word teleos, which means to to bring to maturity or to an end. It's a different word, translated complete here, katartizo. It speaks of thoroughly preparing something to meet its demands, to restore or mend from a former condition, to make complete, to thoroughly equip. A version of this word is used, exartizo, in 2 Timothy 3.17, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. He's saying, we're praying that we could come to you so that we could complete or equip you in what is lacking in your faith. You're not grown up all the way there yet. We want to complete that. We want to equip you in that. And how is it that they're equipped? It's through the word of God that equips us for every good work. It's God's word. Now, Apostle Paul was not saying in any way, shape, or form that he was the one that would accomplish it. It's the Lord through him. It's the Lord through him. And how can I say that? Because the prayer he shares in the last four verses. Notice our three verses. Notice what he says. Now, verse 11, may our God and Father himself personally And Jesus, our Lord, direct our way to you. Hey, he's praying. Now may God do this. May God do this. The word direct is an interesting word. It means to cause to go straight, to be led, to be guided in the right way. May God guide us in the right way to come to you, to come to you. Lead us in the right way, in your way, Lord, that we would come to you. And then notice verse 12. Notice the dependence that Paul exhibits in the context of all of this. It's not simply sharing the word. It's sharing it in humble dependence as illustrated by prayer. And may the Lord, verse 12, cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you. Just a moment ago, we saw that, uh, that he was desiring to, to complete what was lacking in their faith. Notice their faith associated with love again. May God cause this to happen. May the Lord make you, literally, the word is superabound, and then secondly, and be rich, wealthy, in love for one another and all men. May the Lord be the one who does this through His word as we come to you and share it to you. May your faith in Jesus manifest in a superabounding love, a wealth of love for one another. May that happen. God's the one that does it. God's the one that does it. And you see, as we grow in our faith in Jesus and we trust Him, we will love. Let me share a couple more passages on that. Turn to John 15. John 15. As we abide in Jesus and His Word in us, we're going to manifest in obedience to His commands love. John 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Verse 5, he who abides in me, that means rest, remain. They're trusting Jesus, you're, you're, you're relying on him. And I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, that is so important to know. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and they're cast into the fire and they're burnt. If you abide in me, and notice this, my words abide in you they're remaining god's word is working in your heart it's there it's rich in your heart ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit the asking is in the context of bearing fruit by the way the context of doing his will as you abide he says by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so prove to be my disciples or demonstrate yourself to be just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved. i also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my what? Commandments, you will abide in my love. If you do what he says from a changed heart, you're going to remain in his love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Isn't that great? Joy. Christ's joy in us. He says... And that your joy may be made full, brought to the brim. This, notice how it is here. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? How did he love his disciples? He obeyed the Father in terms of his will, ultimately going to the cross. He relied on the Father completely. He entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. He says that they may overflow, superabound with love, be wealthy in love for one another. That happens when the Word of God is alive in you, you're remaining in Christ. He's changing your mindset towards one another. He's changing your mindset towards yourself. Remember, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And we saw in 1 John, how do we know we love the children of God? If we keep his commandments, we keep his commands. You see, if I love you, I'm going to do what God says for you because God knows the best for you. If I love you, I'm going to obey God in relationship to you because that's the best thing for you. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to obey him. So then, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we obey him more and more, and our love for people will be manifest more and more through obedience to God's word. Love is manifest through not outward uh, hypocritical uh, obedience, but real genuine obedience to his word in relationship to one another. 1 John 2. He says, I was very glad that some of your children were walking in the truth. Verse 4. Just as we have received the commandment to do so from the Father. Now I ask you, lady, not as writing you a new commandment, but the one which we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is love. This is love. Now, what's interesting here is in our passage, he says, I'm praying that we might be able to see you that you might be able to be built up by God and overflow with this love and be wealthy in it for for the brethren. That's innate to us as believers, for the brethren. That should be there. But notice he says something else. verse The end of verse 12, but also for all men. Very interesting statement. You mean we're to love everybody the same way we love the body of Christ? Well, in essence, yes, but it's going to be manifest differently. What do I mean by that? I love you by obeying the Lord, by seeing you is more important than myself. So I want to obey you and be used by him as a tool to bless you. In the same way, I love nonbelievers by obeying his word towards them. If you want to love nonbelievers, obey his word towards them. What do I mean by that? Set apart Christ as Lord of your heart, being ready to give an account for the hope that you have, yet with gentleness and reverence. I'm going to love you by obeying that nonbeliever. Remember, we were just like them at one time, so we should not malign them. We should be gentle, uncontentious, showing every consideration for all men. Titus 3, I'm going to love you by allowing his word to change my demeanor towards you, non-believer. I'm going to have my speech seasoned with grace as it were salt towards those who don't know him, making the most of the opportunities, Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to obey God's word towards those who do not know Christ. Folks, we love non-believers by obeying his word towards them because ultimately the Lord wants them to come to faith, to trust him. But yet this is not done simply through reading and understanding the verses. It happens in the context of humility. May God cause you to superabound and be rich in love for one another and the world. May God activate in a sense his word in your heart by his spirit so you see circumstances differently in regards to your brothers and sisters and the world. And notice he says in the end of verse 12 back in our passage, just as, so as we do for you. Sounds like a prideful statement? Nope, it's true. We love you guys, he says. We do it for you, same way. So then, notice this passage we're out of time here he says now may our god and father himself and jesus our lord direct our way to you and may the lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men just as we also do for you and then here we go here's the purpose and we'll finish up with this this is his prayer so that he may establish your hearts unblameable holiness before our God and the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The goal of this, God changing us so that we will, by faith, love one another more deeply and more richly and love the world rightly, the goal of this is that we would be set up, established uh, uh, in our hearts, unblameable, without reproach, in holiness, before our God and Father at the coming of Lord of our Lord with all his saints, or his holy ones. Now, his holy ones could be his angels here, but I think here it's speaking of believers in light of First Thessalonians chapter four. When Jesus comes for us, with those who have fallen asleep in Jesus, may we be established in our hearts, unblameable in holiness. So somehow connected with the sanctification in this life that God, the work God does in us, is going to Establish our hearts unblameable when Jesus comes. What we do now is important, brothers and sisters. If we are growing in our relationship with Christ, becoming more and more like him, being strengthened and established, we will be more like him, being strengthened and established, and thus we will be unblameable in holiness in the context when he comes. But if we're not, we're going to be ashamed, First John 2, and shrink back when he comes. Oh, we're out of time. Simply put, Paul is praying that he could see them so that he could share the word, so that they would superabound and be wealthy in love for one another and for all men, that their hearts would be established in unblameable holiness when Jesus comes. What you do now matters. It matters. So then, how do we endure the difficulties we encounter? First of all, we need to allow God to encourage us and strengthen us through His word, and He does that through people often, because there are dangers to our faith and we're suffering and in general. We need to receive God's word, believing it uh, and trusting in Christ. And if that happens, we're going to bring great joy to those who have brought the Word to us and ministered to us and are praying for us. And lastly, this needs to all be done in the context of humble dependence, prayer as illustrated by how Paul prays that Christ would do it and he would bring about a superabounding love for each other and for all men. Where are you today? What would Timothy's report be like about your faith? Would it be a good report? If not, you know why. God's gracious, confess and be forgiven. And be a blessing to those who love you and are serving you in Christ. And walk in a way that will lead you to that day in which you're before Christ rejoicing in unblameable holiness when he comes for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And I pray that we would stand firm. That we would stand firm in your son Jesus. That we would believe your word, that we would trust you, that we would obey you, and that that trust and obedience would manifest in a genuine, superabounding love for one another, a wealth of love, as we obey you in regards to one another and the world. Lord, thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul, and thank you for these Thessalonians who did respond rightly. May we be the same, and may we grow And may we allow you to manifest the character of your son in us until we are in his presence. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.